I want you to know this morning without a doubt that God loves you. We need to make sure we understand and appreciate that fact that God loves us. And here's the thing that's so amazing about that. God loves us in spite of who we are. God loves us in spite of the fact that we are weak. God loves us in spite of the fact that we sometimes commit sin. God loves us with all of our ugliness and everything that makes us so inferior to Him. God still loves us. Have you ever wondered how God looks at us? Have you ever wondered, of course I know God doesn't operate this way because He's in a spiritual realm, but if you will picture in your mind uh, God in heaven and He's looking down here on this earth and He's looking at us as individuals. What does He see? What do we look like when God looks at us? Who does God see? Well, this morning I have chosen a text to help us to appreciate the fact that there is a way that God looks at us. This morning I want to spend some time seeing ourselves as God sees us. Many years ago... I was taking a refresher course for uh, being a lifeguard at uh, Palmetto Bible Camp. You have to renew your uh, lifeguard certification uh, every three years. And I was a lifeguard at camp, I I bet, for 20 years. And so that kept coming along. And I had a a teacher at the time that at the end of the class, and she was um, giving us our, our recertification and whatnot, she had asked each one of us to write a little note about all the other members in the class, something that we wanted to say about them. And at the end of this class, she read all these things that other people had said about each and every other person in the class. But the thing that stuck out in my mind is not what the other people said, but the way that she introduced this particular exercise she was doing. She said, it's the most wonderful thing to see ourselves as others see us. We go through life and we oftentimes wonder, you know, how, how do, does this particular person think about me? Uh, does this person get me? Does this person have some animosity toward me? Is this person my, really my friend? Does this person think that I'm ugly or they think I'm good looking? Does this person think I'm smart or I'm, or I'm not very smart? Does this person think I'm uh, uh, a strange kind of person or do they think I'm pretty normal? Well, all those things you know, we may think about as we go through life, but the most important thing is to make sure that we see ourselves as God sees us. And so we can maybe add to what she said by saying, isn't it a wonderful thing to be able to see ourselves as God sees us. And as we look at this text today, and you can go ahead and turn into it in your Bibles, but we'll have it up on the screen also, we're going to be looking at three things that are very important in this text. As we think about how God sees us, we're going to first of all think about who we are, then we're going to think about who we were, and then we're going to think about where we're going. Because that is how 
God sees each and every one of us who are Christians. So we hope that you'll follow along in your text, because we'll be preaching directly from the text this morning. But the very first thing I want us to think about this morning is this. From verse 9, consider the joy of seeing who we are. Now, as we look at these particular attributes of how God looks at us, uh, there is no reason for pride. There's no reason for saying, look what I've done. But instead, we should rejoice in the fact that this is the way that God looks at us now. Uh, This is the way that God, when He looks down from heaven, if you will, and sees us, this is what He sees. In spite of who we are, this is what He sees. And that should give us great joy, but notice who we are as far as God is concerned as we look in the text. The very first thing He says, but ye are a chosen generation. Now we first look at that, and maybe we don't think a whole lot about the impact of what that means. But what God is saying is, when He looks down from heaven and sees us, He sees us as a very special type of person. The idea of a chosen generation goes all the way back to Abraham. And how of all the people in the world, God had chosen Abraham, and that from his seed would all the nations of the earth be blessed. And how that from Abraham there was a long line of people where it finally got to Jacob. And then from Jacob, there became the nation of Israel from the twelve sons of Jacob, the twelve tribes. They were now God's chosen generation. And therefore what God wants us to understand now, as He looks at us, He looks at us at the same way that He looked at Abraham. He looks at us at the same way he looked at his chosen people, Israel. He's saying, you are now my people. You are now my special possession. You are now that thing that I have exalted and picked up and given all the promises to. Galatians chapter 3 and verse 29 says, If you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed, and you are the heir of promise. In other words, all the promises made to Abraham, all the promises made to the Israelite nation, now all those promises apply to us. We are God's chosen people. There's a lot of people in the world today, but only one group of people that are God's chosen people, His chosen generation, and that is each and every one of us. That is how God looks at us when He sees us. But also the text goes on and says that we are a royal priesthood. Now when you first look at that word, those two words together, it kind of makes you think just a little bit. What exactly is a royal priesthood? What's interesting, if you listen to different people who know a whole lot more than I do, that are religious scholars, they debate back and forth about whether or not that this is describing us as a group of people who are kingly priests or whether or not we are priests who serve a king. And we can debate that back and forth. I tend to think it's about the priests who serve a king. But make sure we don't miss the point of what God wants us to see as he looks at us. The priests in the Old Testament were people who were very special people. Not anybody could be a priest, but instead you had to come from the right family and the right tribe. 
And when a person was finally made a priest, there was a big ceremony that took place, and there was a lot of adoration and praise because this person was now going to be the representation of God here on this earth. And so when God looks down at us as Christians now, uh, He sees us as priests. Obviously, we have a high priest, Jesus Christ, who is the one who makes intercession for us, but we need to understand uh, the privilege and the prestige He has placed upon us. And then when He adds to it the fact that we are a royal priesthood, Either he's talking about the fact that because of our inheritance we are like royalty, or he's talking about the fact that we are priests who serve a royal one, Jesus Christ. Either way, think about the fact that when God looks down upon us and he sees us as we are, he doesn't see all the things that perhaps we always see when we look at ourselves, but instead he sees a royal priesthood. But the text goes on and and he says he thinks of us as a holy nation. Those of us who are members uh, of the church are a part of a very special nation. A holy nation. Rome was a military nation. Greece was a cultural nation. We may live in the East United States now and maybe think of ourselves as a divided nation. But when God looks down and sees us, He sees us as a holy nation. And what He means by a holy nation, He means that we are holy like He is holy. We have been set apart. We have been sanctified. We are someone who now has the right and the privilege to be in the presence of God. We know that God is holy, that nothing that is evil can be in His sight. So think about the wonderful blessing as we think about seeing ourselves as God sees us, and He looks at us and sees us collectively as a church, and He thinks of us as being a holy nation. So much more than the mind can can grasp that God somehow or another, when He looks at me, He sees something that is holy. But that's what Peter wants us to understand. When we see ourselves as God sees us, he sees something that is holy. But then he goes on and says something else. He says, when God sees us and you want to know who you are, he refers to us as a peculiar people. Now that word peculiar in the King James is a word we use in kind of a different way now. If I... I walked up to Frank and said, man, Frank, you're pretty peculiar. Uh, he, he'd probably take that the wrong kind of way. But literally in, in the Greek, it carries with it the idea that we are a group of people who have been set aside for God's own possession. Uh, some of the translations even translate it that way. But the most literal way to translate this idea of a peculiar people is to translate it this way. You are a people who have been paid for. You have been paid for. First Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 20 says, You have been bought with a price. Uh, Acts 20 and verse 28 says that Jesus Christ uh, died for the church. He purchased the church with His own blood. 
1 Peter chapter 1, verses 18 and 19 remind us that we've not been redeemed with corruptible things such as silver and gold, but we have been redeemed by the precious blood of the Lamb without blemish and without spot. And so what Peter is doing here is wanting us to understand the reason why we can be a chosen generation, the reason why we can be a royal priesthood, the reason why we can be a holy nation is because we are a people who have been paid for. Because of what Jesus Christ has done, and because of the love and the grace and the mercy of God, we are a paid-for people. And so when God looks down from heaven and He sees us, and we, we see ourselves as God sees us, He sees something totally different sometimes from what we may think He sees. Because of the fact that we are a paid-for people, he sees someone who is a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. And it's all based upon the sacrifice and the blood of Jesus Christ. But when God looks down, this is who we are. This is what he sees. But also as we look at the text, from the last part of verse 9 and all of verse 10, Think on the gratitude we should feel in remembering who we were. Now the emphasis here as we look at this is on who we were. Not who we are now, but what we used to be. When God looks down upon us, we should be filled with gratefulness. We should be filled with thanksgiving because what Peter is telling us here is, this is the, what you used to be, but God doesn't see you that way anymore. Notice what the text says. Who we were. He says, you were called out of darkness into His marvelous light. Called out of darkness into His marvelous light. The idea here is that when there is darkness, you are floundering around. You don't know what direction to head in. You don't know how to deal with your situation. But once light comes into the room, then all of a sudden things are made clear. All of a sudden you realize what you uh, have in your surroundings. All of a sudden you know the right direction to go. And that's the picture that's being painted for us. And the light here, of course, is Jesus Christ. And the light here, of course is the truth of Jesus Christ's gospel. There was a time when you lived in this world, maybe it was a long time ago, maybe it was just recently, that you, because of the fact that you were lost, you were not a Christian, you have not obeyed the gospel of Jesus Christ, that you were living in darkness. But someone came along, maybe it was a family member, maybe it was a friend, maybe it was a co-worker, maybe it was a neighbor, that taught you about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then you were exposed to the light and you obeyed that truth. There may be some who at one time in their lives were uh, were involved in heathenism and didn't know who the true God was. There may have been some who were involved in Judaism and did not know who the true Messiah was. There may be some who was involved in Catholicism and did not know who the true head of the church was. There may have been some who were involved in Mormonism and did not know what the true book of God is. But the majority of us were involved in denominationalism 
and did not know what the true church was. But someone came along, even though you were in darkness, and they exposed to you this wonderful, wonderful light. Jesus tells us in John chapter 8 and verse 12, He says, I am the light of the world. And He goes on in verse 32 of the same chapter, He says, You shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Peter reminds us of St. Peter earlier in this chapter, 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 22. He says, you have purified your souls by obeying the truth. John reminds us in 1 John chapter 1 and verse 7. He says, if we walk in the light, or literally if we walk in the truth as he is in the truth, we have fellowship one with another and the blood of Jesus Christ which cleanses us from all sins. We need to be thankful this morning. We need to have hearts full of gratitude that because of the fact that we are no longer in darkness, but we have been brought into His marvelous life, like God looks at us totally different than the way He used to look at us when we were lost in our sins and we were lost in darkness. But then He goes on and He says, which in time past were not a people, but are now the people of God. One of the worst feelings a person can ever have is to feel like they're a nobody. That somehow or another, we don't meet the standard of other people. That somehow or another, we're not as good as other people or people have more than we have. That we just feel like nobody cares about us, that, that we're just a nobody. We don't make any kind of difference in this world. And with all the billions of people in this world, we're just another person, just another speck in the, in the dust of, uh, of this world, and we're a nobody. Paul, or Peter wants us to understand here that that may have been the case in the past. But because of the fact that you've been brought out of darkness into this marvelous light, now you are a very special person because now you are the people of God. Paul reminds us in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 12, he says, this is the way you used to be. He says... Uh, Before you had Christ, you were aliens from the commonwealth of Israel. You were strangers from the covenant of promise. You were without God and without hope in this world. That's the way things used to be. God looked at His people and you were like an illegal alien, if you will. You were maybe wanting to get in, but you couldn't get in. God had all these promises He had made to His people through the covenant, but you were a stranger to that. None of those things applied to you. But thanks be to God because of the fact that He loved us so much and gave His only begotten Son to die for us that when God looks at us now, He doesn't see a stranger. He doesn't see an alien. He doesn't see somebody who is not a people, but now He sees us as the people of God. We are His people. It's wonderful to see how God sees us. We should have our heart so full of gratitude. But once again, like He did in the first part of this uh, section in verse 9, He reminds us how this all came about. He says, Which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. There was a time in your life when you were living without mercy. 
There was a time in your life because there was no mercy, there was no forgiveness of sins, uh, there was no hope or even privilege of being able to be in God's presence and ultimately be in His presence for all eternity. Uh, Without God's mercy, uh, we were most miserable creatures because we understand and appreciate the fact that there's nothing we can do to save ourselves. There's nothing we can do to make ourselves good enough. No matter how hard we try, there's no way in the world we could please God because of who God is and because of who we were. And you think about the time in your life when you had mercy. We were, without mercy, you, you were basically uh, just like a prisoner on death row waiting to be executed. Romans chapter 3 and verse 23 reminds us that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And then verse 23 of chapter 6 of the same book says that the wages of sin is death. But thanks be to God, and this should fill our hearts with gratitude, there was a time that God looked at us and we were people without mercy, but now He looks at us and He thinks about us as somebody who has obtained mercy. In other words, God has given us mercy. Ephesians chapter 2 verses 4 and 5 reminds us that God's mercy was so great and His love was so great that even though we were dead in our sins, He made us alive through Jesus Christ. And then in parentheses of that same verse it says, For by grace you are saved. We need to understand and fill our hearts full of gratitude that He looks at us now as God sees us as we should see ourselves. We are a group of people who have obtained mercy. We didn't deserve it. We maybe not understand it. Maybe not even think it's fair or doesn't make logical sense to us. But still, Paul or Peter wants us to understand and appreciate the fact that we once were a people that didn't have mercy, but now we have obtained it. And that word obtained there is a very special word because it means that we now have it in our grasp. It's not just something we can wonder about. It's not just something that we hope for. It's not just something that uh, we wish for. But instead, it is something that is in our possession. Uh, Literally, we can grasp it and hold on to it. We didn't have it before, but because of the blood of Jesus Christ and our response to the truth, we now have it in our possession is the ideal there. So we have so many things for which to be thankful. We need to be thankful the fact that God in the past didn't think of us as being His people, but now He does. When God looks at us now, He thinks about the fact that we are people who have obtained mercy, and it's all based upon the fact that we were in darkness. But because of the gospel of Jesus Christ and the truth of that gospel, we have been brought into that marvelous, oh so marvelous light that makes all these things possible. But one final thing I want us to think about this morning and the lesson is yours. From verse 11, consider the comfort of realizing where we are going. You see, when we see ourselves as God sees us, we forget about the fact that He sees us as a group of people 
to have a home somewhere else. He sees us as a group of people that uh, really don't belong here uh, because we are now a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a, a holy nation, a peculiar people. We don't really belong here. We have another home somewhere else now. In fact, the text puts it this way. Peter wants us to understand. He says, Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims. Now, when God looks at us, if we see ourselves as God sees us, what does He see? He sees us as strangers and pilgrims. First of all, this idea of strangers, meaning that we are in a place where we don't belong. How do you define who a stranger is? Well, it's basically someone being in a place they don't belong. If you talk to your kids about stranger danger, what does that mean? Well, that means that there is someone that you don't know that's in the vicinity of you, and that person is a stranger. They don't belong there. And that's the idea that Peter wants us to understand, is that because of all these other things and the way that God looks at us, that we are literally in a place we don't belong. We have another place where we belong. But then he goes on and describes us as pilgrims. And pilgrim is a word that we mostly associate with Thanksgiving and the Mayflower and those people who came over here to this world. But have you ever wondered why they were called pilgrims? Why were they named that particular name and that name stuck? Well, the reason being is because of their ideology, the way that they looked at things. Where they were living over in England, they were being persecuted because of their religious beliefs. Uh, They were being tormented. They were being treated terribly. And they said to themselves, among themselves, that this world's not our home. This is not where we belong. We need to find a better land. We need to find our promised land. We need to find a new and better place. And so they were called pilgrims because they left a place where they didn't belong and went to a place where they did belong. In fact, if you look up the word pilgrim in the dictionary, it's interesting. Um, It's it's talking about, um, it's, it's defined as a group of people who were looking for a very special, promised, sacred place. And that's how God sees us. When we see ourselves as God sees us, he realizes uh, that we are strangers and pilgrims. This world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. Here we are, but straying pilgrims. Paul reminds us in Philippians chapter 3 and verse 20 that our citizenship is in heaven. We may be citizens of these United States, We may be involved in the voting and everything else that belongs being a citizen here in these United States, but the way that God sees us, if we truly want to see ourselves as God sees us, He sees us as being citizens in heaven. We are in the roll book in the citizenship of heaven. In fact, the writer of Hebrews in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 34 reminds us 
Uh, and I'm paraphrasing here, but if you look at everything that we seem to have in this world, whether it be a lot or be uh, not so much, we need to understand, he te- describing us, he says that we have a better and more enduring substance waiting for us up in heaven. All the things that are real, all the things that are, are special to us, we're going to find those in heaven. Because when God looks at us, He sees us as strangers and pilgrims because He knows that this world is not where we really belong. Where we really belong is with Him. Well, with all these things in mind, I want you to go back and look at verse 9 once again as a good conclusion to this whole lesson. In verse 9, He says that all these things have been shown to us, all these things have been said about us, all these things help us to understand how God looks at us. So, as the text says, ye should show forth the praises of Him. In other words, as you go through life, we should be spending a lot of time giving Him the praise. We should give Him the praise in our daily lives. We should make sure that every opportunity there is to worship Him we take advantage of. We should find every possible way and understand that the very reason why all these things happen to us, the very reason why God sees us as as He sees us is because He wants us to give Him praise. When you think about the fact that... We are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people. And we think about the fact that God looks at us and sees us this way and that's who we are. Oh, we should not wait for the opportunity, but every single day lift up our voices in praise and gratitude because we know what we used to be. We were in darkness but we've been called into His marvelous light. Uh, We were people who were not a people, but now we are His people. We were people who had no mercy. We were lost in our sins, and we were going to die in those sins, and there wasn't a thing we could do about it. But now we have mercy in our grasp. And every day as we live on this earth, and we know, and the rest of the text brings this out, we know that there is someone who is always attacking us here on this earth, trying to get us to give up our faith. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8 describes him as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. So Peter tells us, he says, be sober, be vigilant. But we do appreciate the fact, and why we should give God the praise and the glory is, that this is not our permanent place. This is not our final place. But instead, we are just strangers and pilgrims here on this earth, just simply passing through this life, this very short life, because one day we're going to spend eternity with our Father in heaven. Seeing ourselves as God sees us, what a wonderful, wonderful thing to contemplate and behold, but let's make sure we give him the thanksgiving 
make sure that we show forth the praises of Him each and every day of our lives. Now, folks, everything I've talked about this morning and how God sees us only applies to those of us who are Christians. Only applies to us who are members of His family. It only applies to us who are members of His body, the church. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, then I hate to say this, but um, everything that I've read about how that God sees us doesn't apply to you. In fact, God sees you totally different. Put it bluntly, He just simply sees you as a sinner who is lost in his sins and one day will spend eternity in hell. It doesn't have to be that way. Because of the fact that you can hear the gospel of Jesus Christ and understand the fact that because of your faith in Him and your repentance and your confession, you can be baptized in the watery grave of baptism and have your sins washed away and you can become all these things I've talked about this morning. God will begin to look at you in a totally different way and hopefully you'll begin to look at yourself in a totally different way because that's really how, what this lesson is all about. But If you have a need to become a Christian today, we hope that you'll step out of the darkness and step into the marvelous light that is the truth of Jesus Christ. Won't you come as together we stand and sing?